Hi, I'm Aaron and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast, where we explore, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I'll be interviewing the best artists in the game while also taking some time to appreciate some new and classic albums. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming news and guests. Also, don't forget to check out my new Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle that will give you exclusive content and help me keep the show running and getting better. All right, let's get into it. Awesome. There we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with a fantastic artist, Chip Fu, also one third of the Fu Schnickens, which to me is one of the funniest names in hip hop. It just, it feels good to say it, but Chip for an absolute mega career, worked with some absolutely amazing artists. And the cool thing about you is that not only do you do hip hop, but you also have got the the reggae streak as well in terms of you're bringing that vibe in and you can really mix your genres back and forth. But I mean, man, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you guys having me here. Well, the, the first thing I wanted to ask you about was about the blend of genres. How did you decide to blend the genres and how do you do it so seamlessly? Well, that comes all natural. Um, being of um, West Indian heritage, you know, uh, that's all that they played in my house. You know, coming with parents from Barbados and parents from Trinidad and my brother actually being from Brixton. Um, you had ska being played in the house. You had soca. You had reggae. You had calypso. You had, you know, R&B along with hip hop. So it just became a part of me. So for me, I just figured that anytime that a producer gives me a beat, I hear totally. I hear some things that people just don't hear because of what I'm used to hearing. So because of what I'm used to hearing, I'm able to fill up beats totally different. You know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm thinking. Um, that's a that's a blessing to be able to be born in a household like that, especially coming from East Flatbush, Brooklyn, too, where, you know, that's basically the norm to be able to do both and sing and chat and, and just mix genres, you know? Well, I mean, you don't see that very often these days. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the style of mixing, mixing reggae and mixing hip hop has kind of disappeared a little bit in the sense mm-hmm. that I don't see a lot of mainstream artists attempting it or even really putting a lot of effort into it. Why do you think that is? Because I think that some of these mainstream artists are now not saying that they wouldn't try it, but I think that they're afraid to try it because they don't know how to do it. Because a person like you and I who've listened to reggae music, we could tell if they're authentic or not. And you could tell if, you know, they've practiced well enough to do what they're supposed to be doing, you know, but I think that, um, it would take the right person to do it. I mean, you have Drake that, you know, jumps in and out between genres when he's ready. And um, you would have an artist, what is her name? Like her or one of them, she would do like a straight up reggae song or you can tell where some of the influence comes from, from reggae, but I don't see them just like, you know, um, intermixing and mingling between both genres at all. Well, do you think that it's just not listened to as much as it was? That like- well, I think I think now because of where music is, like you, you pick up a kid's um, uh, iPhone and look at the playlist, and it's everything on the playlist: reggae, you know, um, Afro beats, hip hop. It just seems like one big melting pot of music. I just think that um, when it comes to certain artists, they do try, 
I think that radio just needs to understand where music is right now. You can't label it anymore. It's just music, you know? And if you're trying to say um, a radio station, yeah, so-and-so where hip hop lives or whatever, hip hop is just, uh, you know, a blend right now of music. You know, it's a blend of trap music. It's a blend of the Afro beats. It's a blend of reggae. It's, it's everything right now. You know what I mean? So I think that there's, there's, um, there's a lane for it, but I just think that the powers that be and artists need to know that they can go there. Some of the artists know that they can go, especially the Afrobeats um, artists who are doing Afrobeats. They understand that um, the majority of the times that the rhythms that they're getting on more so sound like old ska records or sound like old reggae records, just with the, you know, just with the, the syncopation sped up a little bit. But there is, you know, I'm saying a, a, a road for those things. Well, you touched on radio and I'm interested to know your thoughts on radio itself, because you know, I feel like radio was the medium that a lot of people received their music, you know, in the 90s. And now with Spotify and now we've got Apple Music and, you know, Tidal, all these uh, music platforms coming through. What do you think that's done to radio and the way people actually consume music? You got to remember, I mean, there's the good side and there's the bad side. The good side is, you know, the Internet has leveled the playing field between the independents and the majors. So if you want to get directly to your art, your, your audience, you can. And an audience, if they want to get directly to their artists or hear specific songs from their artists, they could join one of the lists, you know, the Spotify list or whatever to find whatever it is that they want. The upside with radio is that you still have to you still have to pay to play. You get me? So you have radio dictating um, what songs are hard or not because the artists or the company that's behind the artists are able to pay for play. You know what I'm saying? So um, in the nineties, when you had a record and it was hot, it was undeniable. It was just getting played. There was nothing behind it. You know what I'm saying? And we, we, there was this, um, an intense wanting to hear the new project from an artist. Nowadays, everything is so broken up into pieces. You don't know what's what. And because of, how music is created nowadays and it just sounds like it just sounds like there's four artists out there you get me and when you listen to the the the, the radio you don't even know when there's a transition in between songs unless there's a commercial because everything sounds the same you know my son who's 25 he played he played he was playing some music and i was like yo that's a long record because if, if it felt like it was six minutes long i said son that's a long record he said dad nah that's that's eight records that played already. This is somebody's album. And I was like, nah, you know, it hurt my heart that, you know, you can't really tell the difference in change in anything because everything sounds the same. You know what I mean? So I think that that's one of the problems with radio right now. They need to understand that, you know, they're hurting us more than helping us because now we don't know the difference between old school, new school, or I want to say bold school and new school or um, how records were made before, you know, everybody, there's, there's times when you'd hear one chorus and just lyrics or no chorus. So you don't know what, you don't know actually what you're listening to. So the only way that you know that there's a different, a differentiation in anything is, is if the song is three minutes, because now we know it has to be at least three minutes or 320 to be played or streamed. You get what I'm saying? If it's longer than that, you know, people don't, you know, do whatever, but that's the difference to me when it comes to radio. There have to be a point in time when you now know that there's a difference between records and a difference between genres. People have to hear the old and the new to understand 
how to create, especially if you're pouring into new artists. Well, I tend to agree with you. I think, I mean, my biggest critique um, of current music is that it feels like it's cookie cutter. I think the challenge with it is that the beats are really easy to make, especially with technology that like I can download a program and I can make it at home and I won't do the hard work that, you know, producers will do. And you can Mm -hmm. see all the good producers, they do something interesting. They do a unique style of beat. They'll put in a, a different tempo. They'll put in a unique instrument, whatever it is. But I feel like the challenge at the moment is that because people have figured out what's hot, everyone's trying to replicate that one style of hot rather than going down your own lane to be like, you know what, my voice or my style doesn't really work with what's hot. It works with a different type of beat. So I Mm got to do that. And because I do that well, that will then become hot. You just can't. Otherwise, you know, I might as well listen to anyone. It makes no difference if all the Mm -hmm. beats are going to be the same. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And the one thing that we have to understand too, that, um, that artists are understanding that there's no more a and r So normally you'd have an A&R come sit with you or bring producers to you to help you produce your project. Now kids are like, there's no one a and in me. I'm just going to do what I want to do because of what I heard. Normally, as soon as you get signed and you get to a record company, they're sitting there with you saying, okay, so we're going to enhance your sound. Why don't you try using these producers? Nowadays, it's like, yo, I got the program. I know the drum syncopation. I know what shakers to use. I know the synths. Let's go. You know what I mean? That's it. And I feel like sampling isn't as prevalent. And I feel like there's a lost, like sampling to me is one of the greatest art forms that there is in hip hop. And a good sample changes everything. But because you're not putting in the time to be like a, a real producer that's tearing through records, that's listening to different genres, that's, you know, going, oh, what if I chop this up this way, you know, mm-hmm. enhance this, slow this down. If you don't do that, then, of course, it's going to sound the same. And I feel like there's a lost art purely because everyone has access to it now, whereas, you know, you could, to me, my favourite producer of all time is DJ Premier, and I think he mm-hmm. does it the best but there are countless of others you know i look at rizza from wu-tang and and Mm -hmm. there's literally just so many dr dre another one the way they develop their unique sound i feel like that doesn't happen anymore and i actually have to listen to the tag more often than actually Mm. understanding that this beat is someone's style Mm. i mean it's it's sad to, to get to a point where there's so many, it's even with the Soul Council, um, that's a dope group of producers, Crisis, you know, and a bunch of them, North Carolina, they're, they're just incredible producers. And, you know, you get to a point in the industry where people are only purchasing beats that sound one particular way because they're understanding that it's, it's, it's a business. But how, you know, it's a business, I get that, but if you're gonna if you're gonna continuously help upgrade the culture, then you gotta look for new artists. Then you gotta cultivate what's new. But if you're not doing that, then then what happens? You everybody can't have the same argument and say, you know, we wish hip hop doing so and so. If all you're doing, even the powers that be, 
and know this about what's happening, they're saying, well, my boss wants me. No, you got to get to a point where you have to understand and be like, well, listen, you know, it has to be a change or you and I'll be having conversations like this for the next three or four years. But I'm hoping, you know, one of the things that came out, uh, I want to say last, what this was it this year? I think Buster's album. When Buster's album came this out. Year. I think January right. this year. Right. So listening to that album, I was like, thank you. You know what I mean? Listening to anything from um, Griselda, I was like, thank you. You know, because they kept it a particular way, even though they added some new instrumentation. I mean, they didn't lose themselves in what they would uh, or what the masses would consider to be new. They still kept their edge. You know what I mean? And I think that um, when moving forward with certain artists, they need to understand that, too. Even with myself, I had a listening party um, three weeks ago and uh, we what we did was we, we, we recorded 80 records. We had to take we played 20 records out of the 80 records. And we had to pick seven records. So we wow. sat down, we sat there with 60 people and we picked six, we picked, no, we picked eight records out of the 20 records. So me sitting there with, with, with people from different ages, you could understand their likes and their dislikes. You had people that were you know, middle-aged. I was just like, yo, I don't hear any, you have any more boom bap? I'm like, yes, I'm playing 80 records for you. I mean, not 80 <laughs> records, 20 records for you. Just pick seven or eight. It got to the point that they only they were only able to pick 15 because of their want and need. You know what I mean? The younger crowd was like, all right, I like that seven over there. The other was like, you know, I like this eight over here. You know what I'm saying? So you got to get to a point where you you balance your projects as much as possible, but also understand that by by being who you are, you're also teaching a person, you know, something new also because they probably never knew what type of artist you are if you were on a different beat. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, it just shows like, I, I think there are a lot of artists who wouldn't have a hundred tracks that they pick from and then pick the best 20 or they even have, you know, the best 20 and pick the, they make 20 and pick the best 12. I think a lot of artists these days are making 12 and all 12 go on the album or go on the project. And I think there's, uh, there's almost this, I make it, I release it type of attitude. Whereas in reality, all the best artists leave stuff on the cutting room floor. Um, because yeah, otherwise you just release tracks that are not ready or are not your best. And I've mm -hmm. said this time and time again on, on this podcast, but I think that a lot of artists release too much music and it sounds weird to say it, but I think they're too good at writing, but they're not good enough at being critical enough mm. self-critical i don't have anyone who's like that was good but it's not good enough or it's not ready or promote your this album that you just released why are you releasing another album six months later that first mm -hmm. one hasn't even been listened to enough you know it's about getting that balancing act of being critical enough without being over critical because then you've got people like jay electronica who hasn't who released an album what one every 10 years or something mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just feel like it's a different time frame when it comes to hip hop these days. Yeah, the one thing I'm also understanding is um, people are saying that they're releasing a lot of music because of people's attention spans also. They're just like, yo, if I release this right now and I don't have enough, like I had, I had a, um, an A&R tell me, he said, I need to be able to see that... Um, Hold on. 
One second. Well, another project that I'm a big fan of is Nas's album that he released mm-hmm. this year. Again, okay. killed it. Pretty dope. But if you notice what he did, right? Kept one producer, one sound, created as much stuff as possible, and then separated and made sure, listen, I'm able to feed you now, but when it comes time to feeding you later, I could feed you later also. Yeah. I was surprised so, by how good it was, to be honest. I mean, I was also. I was also. Because <laughs> I, I said to myself, all right, this first one is pretty dope. But then when I got the other one, I was like, this is not bad. I was like, this is pretty good. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm glad that he finally um, got to a point where he's, he's or at least working with a producer that's helping him, you know, guide him when it comes to picking, you know, certain beats. You know what I mean? And I'm just glad that he's still here making music. You know, I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you were saying anyway about the A&R who was talking about attention. Yes, the A&R was saying to me, he said, you know, certain artists got to be able to get to a point that you should be able to drop a song a day. I said, a song a day? And I said, for how long? He said, maybe for two and three months. I said, so what happens to all that music? I said, you're putting it out there on a whim, no promotion, no marketing, no nothing. And it's not even coming out as a project. Who's to say that they're going to actually, you know, gravitate and just purchase each single when you put it out, you know, however it is that you're releasing it. He was like, you know, more so you got to get the people's attention so they understand that you're a true artist. But then I had to think about it. I was like, that works for now. That doesn't work for how, that didn't work back then. You know what I mean? That works for now. And I think that um, people would actually burn themselves out at a certain time if you're creating at a pace like that, not saying that it's wrong to, to have music recorded, but have music recorded for a plan or a planned agenda of how you're going to release it. So the masses understand this is how he's releasing. You know what I mean? If you're just throwing music out there, the masses are just like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to his page because he always got some shit up or whatever the fuck the case may be. But if it's calculated properly, certain quarters you know he's gonna i know he's gonna release this quarter he's gonna release about eight songs you know middle you know for the summer he's gonna release about eight songs you got papoose papoose is doing an album per month and he's naming it the month i think that's genius and that just says where his where how creative he is as an artist that every month he's like well all right we're in october i'm releasing october in October, and he's releasing it, and it's it's, it's damn near uh, a, an incredible album that he releases. And I'm just like, well, that's that's actual album material. So it doesn't it, you don't even know how much records this guy is sitting on because in November he's going to be releasing the uh, project for November, and that's crazy. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, I I'm a I I think it's about being wary enough to be like, how much music do my listeners actually consume? Because mm-hmm. like. If I had like an artist, but then they've released, you know, 12 albums in one year, I don't have time to listen to 12 albums from that one artist in one mm-hmm. year. So I'm going to listen maybe the first two, maybe. Maybe I'll gotcha. listen to a bit of one, bit of two, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of three. But if I don't find what I'm looking for, I'm done for the year because no. I, no. Haven't, I haven't found what it is and you haven't caught me at the beginning. 
So, and all the big artists, you look at, you know, Kendrick, J. Cole, you look at, you know, Drake, Kanye, Buster, all those mm-hmm. people, everyone cannot wait for the album to drop. Mm-hmm. If people are like, slow down, mm-hmm. it, that's the opposite of what you want. I would rather, you know, drop one good, solid project every 12 to 24 months and have people mm-hmm. going, when are you releasing the next one? When are you releasing the next one? You know, you do a feature here and there and you keep that interest burning rather than going, here's, you know, a hundred tracks. And it's like, it's too much. It's overwhelming as a listener because then I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to go find something else. I agree. Totally agree. But like I said, that's why I, it, it these artists, um, are comfortable doing that because of now you can get music like that. You know what I mean? There's, there's no restraints. There's no middleman. You can, you can put out what you want to put out with uh, marketing, without marketing. And as long as you're one of those artists that people are looking for, you know what I mean? Then you're, you're, you're good at doing what you're doing. You're, you're, you know, there's no restraints for you to release music, you know, but then there's a time as a consumer, even though I'm an artist, I'm a consumer of music too. I'm just like, yo, gosh, you know, I just heard three albums from dude. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, even some reggae artists, they'll put out, <laughs> they'll put out three albums a month, and it's just like, you know, all right, <laughs> Mount Zion. The next week, they got something called Jaja Kids or something. I'm just like, bro, keep it. I just, I was just listening to your brand new album, and you know, but they're, they're thinking that this is how you have to keep the momentum. You get me? But you know, that's neither here nor there. But that's just where the times are now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the saying quality over quantity is always going to be the best move. I agree. Always quality. But actually, something I wanted to ask you about was your flow because Mm -hmm. your flow is one of the most unique in hip hop and one of the earliest with that type of flow as well. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, people will associate your speed and your flow and they'll probably go, oh, Twister, Buster Rhymes, who you mentioned, kind of can replicate that but you were doing it you know 80s early 90s but how did you come across it because it's like you know to me it's it's like you taught yourself a new way to do hip-hop but how did that work i was um my brother used to get these ska records from england and i came across an artist called tipper irie from saxon sound in in england and i was I think I was 10 and I heard my brother playing this tape in the room. And this was the first person that I heard get on a beat and he didn't waste any time. There wasn't any, he would, he didn't waste any space in the record. You know what I mean? He got on it. And when he was skipping on it, he wasn't repeating himself, you know, cause there was artists that would repeat themselves, repeat themselves. And you think that they're saying a bunch of stuff. And they're not saying anything. They're just repeating certain words. But he he had sentences. And I was like, wow, you could actually get on records and say sentences. And I was just I started listening to his format. And then when it came to writing, I said to myself, you know, I wanted to be the first hip hop artist or I want to say hip hop slash dancehall artist that was able to do both. But when I got on a hip hop beat, I'll be able to bring that energy to a hip hop beat and vice versa. You know what I mean? So once I brought that, you know, people looked at it like it was totally different. And if you really think about it with Ring the Alarm, that was like the first hip hop album to have a dancehall single on it. 
that never happened before. And after the after you heard the dancehall single, then you just started hearing hip hop records produced by a Tribe Called Quest. So everybody was like, "Yo, this is this is this is not normal, but this is this is dope." And I figured that that was our uh, way of getting in, you know, into the door where people are just like, "Yo, they're totally different. You got to hear this album or whatever." So for me, you know, I thought that was that was uh, pretty dope, but. Then came everybody just trying to take their pieces of it. You get me? And I understood what was happening because then you have people saying, well, you got, you know, Daddy Freddy. And I'm like, Daddy Freddy is repeating the same word over and over and over. And they're bringing up different names. Papa San, Papa San had sentences, but he was repeating. There's some parts where he was repeating. But th- these, are the, these are the people that I, would, I grew up on that gave me the blueprint to be like, I don't want to have gaps in mind. You know, I'm not, I don't want to repeat the record. You know, I don't want to repeat these four syllables over and over. I want to say complete sentences. And then, I, and then that's what pushed me to, you know, to find those cadences actually, and to find different pockets and how the pockets came was because of the heritage, West Indian heritage. I'm able to sit in a certain pocket different than other people. And a lot of people fail to realize that, that a lot of artists with West Indian heritage they sit in pockets totally different from regular artists. Biggie, Slick Rick, Guru, uh, Das Effects, Jamaica, Biggie, Jamaica, Slick Rick, Jamaica, Bungie Garland, Trinidad, Guru, Trinidad, Fife, Trinidad, Q-Tip, Montserrat. I could keep going, you know what I'm saying? But you have all this influence of... of um, inner rhythms and cadences when it comes to records that was that were around them that you were able to pick up a certain type of syncopation when you were writing you know what i mean and i think that's pretty dope well i agree because there i like to me as a hip-hop fan and i'm not a hip-hop artist at all but purely as a fan i love listening to different styles and people right. doing different things but mm-hmm. how did you actually develop it so you hear it at 10 and you're like, all right, this is something that I want to do. But mm-hmm. how do you actually put that work in? Because, you know, I'm sure sh- it, it sounds easy that like, mm-hmm. oh, I heard this, it's the blueprint. And then I started mm-hmm. working on it. But how long did it actually take you to be confident in your ability to be like, yo, I've got this nailed? Uh, 12. 12 my brother was yeah 12 my brother was bringing me to sound system parties in brooklyn outside and i'm walking holding his hand i can remember it we're walking through the crowd and he's like put my little brother on and they're like no and he's like yeah put him on and i jump up there and destroy the party and they're just like yo where's this kid from and then my brother would let him know yeah i would sit with him and just give him all these tapes and that's all he does he doesn't play any sports. You know what I mean? He's not watching television like that. He's into his books and he's into writing. My thing was I, I was an English, an English major in school, in junior high school, high school, English major also. You know what I mean? So I loved writing and I loved to listen to people talk and how they would bend their words. So that was helping me when I was writing because I'm like, okay, well, you can say it different because of my parents in the house pronouncing everything totally wrong you know what i mean but it's 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 actually right because it's the queen's english you know what i mean so i'm pronouncing it how they're saying it and i'm noticing that when i lay it on beat it falls different 
it falls outside of the four. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to write like that. Style developed. And then I started developing different noises with the style. Then the whole rhyming backwards thing falls into place. And I'm, I'm adding that on to everything that I can do. Then the singing and the chatting. And I'm like, okay, well, this is who I am as an artist. And now I'm ready to, to show the world that this is who Chip Fu is as an artist. You know what I mean? I didn't want it to be a situation where you got tired of anything I did. I figured if you got tired of one thing, I got a whole bunch of other things that you can listen to, you know what I mean? To keep you intrigued in, in me as an artist, actually. It's crazy to me that you were that confident at 12, though, because I think back to me at 12, mm -hmm. and I don't even know, I wouldn't know what color the sky is, to be honest, let alone confident enough with, like, my English ability to be like, hey, I can come up and spit a verse in a completely different way and just, yeah. I mean, and I love English as well. I'm, I was a big reader in school. Like you can ask my brother that his pet hate is that I always try to correct him when he just says names wrong and stuff. He hates that. It's something that yeah. I've tried to stop doing, but uh, it just, I, I don't know. It's one of those things for me, but like it's yeah, that confidence at 12, like, how did you have that? Was that instilled through your parents or what do you think that was? Parents and my brother. Um, parents understanding that they, they, wow, for them to, you got, for them to migrate from Barbados and Trinidad and come to England, meet each other in England, have kids from England, go to New York, build a life for your kids. That's confidence to me because you don't know what you're getting into. So when I sat down and I thought about confidence, I thought about what they did. I was like, I don't think I could do what they did. You know, because you're picking up. My father um, picked up at 18, 19, went to England. He was a, 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 he used to, he was a tailor. Then he started driving the double-decker buses in England, met my mom, had kids, came over to Brooklyn to raise these kids. Now you're raising these kids and I'm hearing this story. I was like, what made you think? And he's like, yeah, I didn't know. I just felt that I had to do it or I had to be confident, confident enough in saying to myself, I'm going to get on that plane and go to New York City. You know, so for me coming up, it's like I they set up they set up they set the bar for me. Their benchmark to me is incredible. I could not do what they did. So for me, moving forward as a kid, I'm like, well, I'm their kid. I can't do normal. I can't do regular. I'm not doing what anybody else is doing. So if I'm an extension of them, I got to be different and have confidence. That's one thing in my house that we did not play with was confidence. Like you can't say can't. None of those things. So my mother's like, so that's what you're doing? Well, do what you're doing. Let me hear you. Not say what I say to her. And she's like, you know, she didn't know what to think about it. But my father's like, that's different. And my brother's like, you know, give him some years, you know, he's doing what he's doing and I'm break dancing and doing whatever and writing. And they're like, well, at least he's not in trouble. But to have that amount of confidence when my brother brought me outside, since I'm not doing anything else, I'm like, all right. The person who gave me a little bit of confidence was um, uh educated rapper from UTFO. At my brother's 16th birthday party, I wrote a happy birthday rhyme for my brother. UTFO was the Jamalot crew at the time. And they used to do like the neighborhood parties and everything in East Flatbush, Brooklyn. They, they played for my brother's 16th birthday party. And I was, you know, I was young. I was telling an educated rapper, yo, let me touch the mic, let me touch the mic. And he was like, no, 
And then my brother was like, what is he, what is he asking? He's like, yo, he went in. And my brother was like, let him, let him go. Let him go. And my brother's 16th birthday party. And I kicked some shit. And he was like, oh, that's your little brother? He was like, yeah. He was like, yo, you need to watch Shorty. He going to be something. From that day I knew. And then when I saw their album come out, I'm sitting in the basement holding their album like, these guys, I lived on 56th Street between Church and Snyder. They lived on 55th Street between Church and Snyder, right around the corner from me. So I'm holding this album saying, yo, this record, Roxanne, Roxanne, was made by the guys that played at my brother's you know, 16th birthday party. And I'm like, well, that's more confidence than I needed, knowing that the dude that's on there told me that I was pretty good. So all of that helped with me coming up. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore because... Mm-hmm. You don't get the the block party. You don't get the person who comes around and does the birthday parties. But how old right. were you at that point? I want to say 16, 16. Wow. I think I was nine or 10. I think I was nine or 10. So there's a big was- difference in terms of age group between mm-hmm. you and your brother. So did he, mm-hmm. was he like your coach in a way, the way you describe your brother is like, he in a way was like encouraging you and like exposing you to things he, that you wouldn't have ex- known. He exposed me, but he didn't encourage me. I think, I think he did that on purpose. You know what I mean? Because he just be like, ah, whatever. But he knew that I was the little brother that just wanted his attention. So I was going to do what I had to do to make sure so every time he came home, I'm like, yo, check this out. And I, I kicked something for him. And he's like, yeah, that's all right. But in my mind, I knew it was better than the tapes he was bringing home. I knew it because I studied the tape both sides, side A and B. And I'm like, this, this, they don't sound like me. You know, so when he finally felt that I was able to do certain things, he'd bring me outside. Come on, let's go. Took me to all the block parties and I was fucking them up. And everybody's like, who is this kid? I didn't have a name at that time. Yo, who is this kid? No one knew who I was. And my brother was like, yo, you got to come up with a name. I'm like, I'm not even know. I don't even know if I want to do this as, you know, like seriously. But he's like, no, you have to come up with a name for yourself, you know? And it's the weirdest thing, bro, because you're growing up and you don't even know who's around you at the time. Right. I'm going to 45th Street in Brooklyn. That's where my cousins live. So 45th, then there's Troy Avenue. So on 45th and and then there's Troy on this block over here, there's Spliff Star living on that block. And Buster's living at the corner. I, I don't know him. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going on 45th to see my cousins. Then years go by. We bumping each other in school. I don't know. It's the it's the weirdest thing because I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. Eh, okay, we're in high school now. We both have girlfriends that were the best looking girls in high school. We can, if you ever speak to him, he'll tell you this. And we used to walk them to the bus stop, and we would just lean up against the fence and waiting for and wait for them to get on the bus. I'm standing there not knowing he was going to be one of the dopest MCs and vice versa. So that's weird to me, right? We, we bump into each other at the Palladium and we're looking at each other like, yo, I know you from high school, but he's already in his group and I'm in my group. And I'm like, yeah, oh, Chirpy, right? Yeah, Chip, right? Yeah, what's happening? But it's just weird 
of the times, and I was always hearing about this reg, this um, this dancehall artist named Chirpy in Brooklyn. That was him. Damn. Everybody's talking about this Chirpy guy in 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 Brooklyn. Like, yo, anytime Chirpy comes through, he's gonna murder everything, and and vice versa, yo. Anytime that boy Chip comes through, yo, bear murder. Where I'm hearing about this this Chirpy guy. Then to finally know that was you. We spoke about it one day. I was like, that was you? Yeah. And I'm like, yo, he was, he was, he was ill. <laughs> he was ill from young, before the industry. Before the industry. Before the industry. So that's only, that's like the only person I would ever say, I knew he was going to be great. I knew it. Just, just hearing his name and then seeing him, I'm like, damn, okay. He, he carried that name like with honor and he anytime he got around the mic it was it was crazy so what was it though what was it that you could tell so how did you know like in instinctively because this has always intrigued me how mm. artists and different performers are like i know you're going to be big but what was it about him that you could recognize all right success is coming he was never scared he was never scared how he looked, <laughs> this is weird. He had a dread hat in high school with no dreads. Not one single braid or anything. Regular haircut. So to me, that's a person that knew he was growing into that. He had no locks, nothing, but he had that big hat with a star on top. And he'd wear it in a hallway. And I'd look at him and be like, wow, okay. All right. But then as the years progressed and I saw him becoming this, this, this person, I'm like, that's him. So when everybody's looking at the, 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 the guy on stage and he's killing it with the dreads and the big hat, I'm remembering the dude I knew from high school with the hat without the dreads. You get me? So I'm standing there going, you knew what you was doing all along. You knew it. He was never afraid, ever, ever afraid, ever, 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 ever. He didn't allow style to be, you know, because here's the thing. Style could be a prison. So even though I, I had a particular, I have a particular style, I make sure I had more than one style. Because I didn't want to be in prison where when you think twister, you're thinking, okay, you're not going to say anything dancehall. You're not going to say anything. You know what I'm saying? When you think of... Uh, Boy Wise from Poor Righteous Teachers, you might think dancehall and you might think something else. You get me? He's just not one thing. And for me, uh, when I heard um, Shinehead's first album, he had an album called Sidewalk University, was when I saw the versatility in an MC. I was like, well, he's singing, he's rapping, he's chatting, and that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be an artist that's Whatever I could be on stage and you could throw on any record and bring any artist up there with me, and I'm good. I'm not gonna be like yo with my man or or whatever to help me. No, I'm good. You could just leave us. I don't care what type of artist they are, underground, above, fast, slow, mid tempo. I'm good. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this because I think a lot of people you touched on fear, and you know, right. Buster's not afraid, you weren't afraid, but a lot of people are scared or they're worried about how they, they will be perceived how do you get to that point i know you had your parents as you know the guiding light but mm -hmm. 
for those people who are worried about that, who are scared of judgment or scared of, you know, even I think the fear of failure is a big fear of, for a lot of people, but how do you overcome it? And, and what would your message be to people like that? The having a fear of failure is perfect. Because if you fear failure, you work harder. But if there was no fear, your presentation would never be right. Because you'd always think that you got it already. With fear comes growth also. You jump into a pool, you can't swim, you go back, you learn how to swim, that fear is gone. But it also, it also has to deal with the individual also. As an artist, you have to know that there's, there, there's having that fear and having butterflies is good. Before every show, I still have butterflies. And I'm holding the mic tight with both hands, like, because I don't know, you know, even though I know exactly what I'm going to go out there and do and what normally would happen, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So for me, once I get past the show, I'm like, all right, that, fear, that was some good fear right there. Because there's days where the, I was doing the MTV, um, the MTV show at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn two years ago. Everything was already pre-taped. So everything was time. They was like black sheep, da 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 black sheep came out. Another group came out and hit the turntable. When you hit the turntable, everything moved because the turntable, they had the turntable and they had the computer that had everything time. It jumped the computer and it jumped the screen on the board where my video was supposed to play and I was supposed to walk out. Now, when I walked out, my they were in, when I walked out to the fourth, no, the sixth bar in my verse. So when I walked out and I looked up, I said, whoa. And then the dude was like, yo, I said, shut off the music. I said, shut the music off. And I rapped in acapella and sped up to catch up to the video and told him to bring it back. And then the, the audience went apeshit because they was like, wait a second. Nah, he caught up to his verse in the video and then the beat dropped on time. So if that was, that was me thinking about the fear and yo, bro, you're in front of 10,000 people. What the fuck are you going to do? Right. If I didn't have fear, I'd be like, eh, hey, all right, guys. Well, no, the fear kicked in and was like, nigga, what the fuck are you going to do? And I'm like, all right, shut that off. I'm looking at the video like I'm rhyming against the video and the crowd is like, I know I'm not seeing this shit. He caught up to where he is in the video and the beat dropped perfect on time and the place went ape shit. That's what fear does to you. Now, if I didn't have that, I'd be standing there like, well, I'm good. They know that it's messed up. Well, they're going to love me anyway. That's not what it was. That's not how it is in Brooklyn. When I went up there, they was just like, oh, okay. They knew something was wrong, and then I just started, boom, acapella, catching up to my verse. And they was like, oh, shit, he's almost there. Caught up. The beat dropped. They looked at me like, oh, God, you caught it. Now everybody after me is on time because they actually fixed it. And also that's what fear does. Fear puts you in position to think and think quick. So any artists out there that's listening, if you're getting those butterflies, good thing. If you're fearful of failure, 
beautiful thing. Use that as your driving force, man, because you will never fail. Because that's the fear. You don't want to fail. But if you get to a point where you're just like, yo, this is, this is who I am. This is me. No, bro. Mm-mm. I always walk with a little bit of that when it comes to recording and when it comes to performing. Got to. Because you peek outside. To peek outside the curtain and see 10,000 people is like, damn. And you have to have everybody on one accord. How do you do that with 16 bars? To, I, I have no idea. Honestly, right. if you're like, Aaron, figure it out. Uh, right. I mean, but I do agree that fear and nerves are good because mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Because, yeah. and to me personally, if I don't have that, it shows I don't care. There I need go. to have it because it's like you care about this. No matter how well you prepped, mm-hmm. you never know on the day. But I also know if I fuck it up or I make a mistake, I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to do better next time. It's not a do or die. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't mention how many shitty questions I've asked on this podcast. I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made. I can't tell you how many, you know, just so many experiences that have been just, you look at it and you're like, they would, I look at it and I'm like, self-critically, I'm like, they just weren't as good as they need Mm -hmm. to be. I need to work on X, Y, Z. I need to keep getting better. And that's all it is. It's mm-hmm. just the continual drive to be like, I'm not going to give up. And you said, you know, about keep it's, I think it's a little bit about ego in check. Cause you said that fear, no matter how good you get is good so that you keep getting better. And Marcus Aurelius, one of the great uh, Roman figures of the, in, mm-hmm. in ancient history, he, there is a, a myth, whether it's a myth or whether it's true, I'm not hundred percent sure, but there is a saying that he used to have a guy that would walk behind him and say something along the lines of you are only a man, you are only a man, you are only a man because Mm. he wanted to make sure that his ego didn't get out of control and he was still, you know, present enough to do his best. How smart is that though? That's a person that knows. That is a person that knows. He, He used that gentleman to keep him grounded. Perfect. Well, who do you have around you to keep you grounded? I look at my wife as a person that keeps me grounded. That's one person that keeps me grounded, my son and my entire team. Because my team knows me. Like, they don't call me Chip. They call me by my government name. And they sit down and talk to me. And, And when they talk to me, I see and I feel truth. So I know it's coming from a good place. And that's who I invited to. The listening party, like half the people there were my family and the other half was industry heads, but they gave it to me. They gave it to me. It was like, that's a dope record, but I'm like, oh, come on. But I took all those things and we were able to get to that, to those eight records. I was like, so this is it. There was like, that's the shit right there. There you go. But go back and tweak this and tweak that and whatever, you know, and I'm listening to them because they're not going to lie. They keep me grounded, especially my son being younger than me. And he's all over the place. He's like, dad, I need for you to hear this record. And I'll listen and be like, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, that's where it's at right there. If you can do that, you're fine. I said, son, this was done 10 years ago, but I'll do something like this. so You can understand. Here we go. And he's like, perfect. This is where everybody's pulsating. This is a safe 
you know, this is a safe BPM. You're good. You know? Well, how is it, you know, how is it having a son that obviously loves music as well? Because obviously he's bringing it to you and you're actually talking about music. Whereas I feel like a lot of people don't have that relationship. You know, there's countless stories of, you know, the parents are successful in one field and the children just go do something completely different, which is absolutely fine. But how is it to have, you know, your son that's really interested and invested in music and invested in communicating with you about it? I think it's one of the best gifts that God could ever given me. Because sometimes I sit there and look at them and I'm looking at myself. You know what I'm saying? And, and I wish that I was able to have that conversation with myself. The conversations that we have. Because he'll sit there and we're talking syncopation. We're talking about stacking vocals. And he'll he's, and he's actually an artist. He's a reggae artist. So he'll bring... And it's, it's weird because I'm doing both and he's doing one. So I got to switch that side off and sit with him and be like, you know, you could touch this up a little bit more and touch that up some more you know and he'll he'll listen go back and do it and come back and be like dad you were right and i'm like yeah you know it has to feel it's it's natural you know what i mean so it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to pour in him and he pour in me you know because sometimes you just be like i don't want to hear that shit and he's like nah dad you gotta hear this you gotta hear it and i'll sit there and be like you know you were right so knowing that that's that's like one of the perfect gifts that i could have gotten was him yeah yeah i mean it's just one of these things that, you know, and I, to me, like, this is like, I don't have kids. I'm, I'm only 27. So it's still okay. a little way for me to go. I can't even spell marriage yet, to be honest. That's, <laughs> that's how close I am. <laughs> it's all good, brother. It's all but good. Like, but like, for me, like, these are, are the best conversations ever because like, you know, as a fan, literally, I just learn so much from your experiences and like, you know, I implore, even if no one listened to this podcast, it would purely be a benefit for me because I'm just like, I get to be a nerd and just listen to all these stories and all the wisdom. And I feel like, you know, rappers are underutilized for how much wisdom they have purely because the word rapper has so much meaning to it. But like everyone that I speak to has, you know, a message, a story, a lesson to tell. I mean, for me, it's one of the best gifts to, to be given a, um, to be given that position to speak to people. You know what I mean? And you don't need to have uh, degrees and able to get your point across. You know what I mean? And I've gone to school, I got three or four degrees, but none of them helped me in, in uh, when it came to music. You know what I mean? But to be able to get your point across and sit and talk to people. I don't, I don't take that like, I don't. So anytime I do a show at some point in the show, I'm going to cut it down and be like, yo, let's just talk. And it'll be 10 minutes out the show, but it's one of the most, it's one of the most incredible things because people, and I tell the promote, you'll turn the lights on, man. turn them on. Let's talk. And the questions they would ask, and we would just laugh like, I've known them for years. You get me? So now everybody's on one accord and we really want to have a good time, you know? So I think that it's, it's perfect. You'd have people talking about my brother. Oh, I heard in an interview that your brother, how's your brother doing? I'm like, shit, you really were listening. He's fine. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's over there. As a matter of fact, he came with me to the show. So you, you get to see how, 
how engulfed they are in your life and how they perceive you as a person and how they don't perceive you. Because then I'd start talking about some other shit and somebody asks a question like, well, I didn't even know that that was the type of person you were. I didn't know that that's the type of person you were. But I'm like, yeah. Like, um, I had a conversation with a group of people and they was like, your last name is Roachford, right? I said, yes. They said, are you related to that huge singer named Roachford in England? I said, yeah, that's my cousin. And they said, get the fuck out of here. Are you saying Roachford is your cousin? I said, yeah, that's my cousin. That's my blood cousin. That's not like a fake cousin. That's my cousin. You know what I'm saying? So everybody's like, well, how come you never thought about it? You know, you never said it before. And I said to them, I said, what other artist do you know has that same last name? I said, me and him. I said, it didn't ring a bell. They was like, no. I was like, no, that's my cousin, cousin, bro. Like my cousin. So now you, you got people asking whatever it is on the planet that they want to ask. And then it was like, are you going to do a song with your cousin? And I'm hearing that they're asking him questions. Now, like, how much do you know about your, your, your cousin Chip Fool? And he's like, oh, I know a little bit about him. They're like, well, nah, dude, he's, 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 <laughs> yeah, he's phenomenal. Do you know that? And he's like, well, I know he raps. They're like, Mm-mm. he does a lot more than just that, bro. You know? So we're, we're talking back and forth on Facebook now because we did a, um, a family page, just like Roachford. And there's a whole bunch of Roachfords that I didn't even know exist. Well, they, you know, there's tons of them in England, but I just didn't know until we created that page. And I'm, I'm glad that that person asked me that question because the next time I go back to England, I got about 50 people that I have to meet, you know, and they're thinking about putting together like a little dinner for me to just meet the other side of the family, my dad's side of the family, you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of cool. I wouldn't have gotten to that point if I didn't have those conversations. So I don't take, you know, my position lightly at all. Yeah, that's awesome. That, I mean, that would be so cool to just mm -hmm. see everyone. And then you can have, I'm, I'm sure it'll breed so many stories because you'll have like all the different personalities. But do you have a question that really surprised you that you were talking to the audience and a question that stands out that was like, that came out of nowhere or like just something that you were like, just completely threw me off. One person asked me about, uh, um, a patient that I had because I'm a, I'm a physical therapist assistant. And there was a patient that I had that, um, who wasn't able to walk and he was a big fan of hip hop, but didn't know I was chip fool. Right. So every day he came down to therapy and he says, man, I just want to be able to walk my wife down the aisle and marry her. And I'm like, no, nah, no problem, man. You just, we just got to get these legs strong. And I put them in the parallel bars and I'm walking with this guy and he's blasting fucking hip hop. So this is the time when I took a break from music, blasting hip hop. And then he sits down one day. He says, yo, what the fuck you know about hip hop, man? And I was like, ah, cool your foot, man. You, <laughs> I know a lot about hip hop. And, you know, we're talking about brand new and all sorts of shit. And he says, yo, my favorite MC is Chip Fool. I said, really? He said, yeah, I don't know where the fuck he is, bro. Like, he just disappeared off the face of the earth. I don't know. I said, All right, well, I don't know neither. <laughs> I said, if you work hard for the next month that we're together, I got a surprise for you. He was like, really? I said, yeah, I got a surprise for you. So we're working, bro, and we're working. I got him to the point where he was walking in the parallel bars holding himself. 
from a point where I had to help him stand up or put, go into parallel bars. Now he's doing it by himself. So what was his accident, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I think he got he was in a car accident. So his limbs were weak. Okay. And they said um, he had muscle atrophy also because he wasn't using his limbs as much. And then they just brought him in in a wheelchair like, yo, you got to strengthen him. You know what I mean? So on the last day, when he's able to walk and he's, he brought his family in there, he brought his family in there. He's like, this is the guy, help me walk, man. And, da, da, da. and he brings his wife for me. You know, we'll be able to get married. This guy helped me. And I took off my badge and said, Roderick Rochefort. And I gave it to him. I said, go to that computer and type that name in. And so he typed it in and all this fushnik and shit popped up. So he was like, what the fuck? You know them? I said, no, bro. I said, I'm Chip Fu. He said, get the fuck out of here. And he's running around in the, the hospital. Get the fuck out. This is you? I said, yeah, bro, that's me. He was like, no one in the world is ever going to believe this. So somebody asked me about that story. And they said, do you keep in touch with this guy? Because after that happened, I got back in touch with him. This was years ago. I want to say about 15 years ago. I got back in touch with him. He said he was an ordained minister. He called me and was like, yo, I'm praying for you, man. I'm an ordained minister. I was like, wow, I got off the phone. And I was like, I need to get back in the industry, right? So after that person asked me that question, it threw me off because I was like, shit, I ain't speak to this guy in years. I got to look for him, right? This was like, I want to say two years ago, that question was asked. Yeah. I looked for him and I started searching. I started searching. And then... Somebody hit me on LinkedIn and I was like, who the fuck is this? And I looked and I was, this person's name was Christian something. I was like, ah, then I went and I read it and it was him. And I was like, bro, you don't know how long I was looking for you. How are you doing? And then we got in touch. You know, we finally spoke on the phone and he's like, yo, you got to meet my kids. You got to meet my wife. That's just the same wife. He's like, no, I got divorced from that bitch. <laughs> he's like, but you got to meet my wife. But when they asked that, it let me know that you really don't know who's listening. You really don't know who's listening. And that shook me up because I wasn't expecting that at a show. Hey, when's the last time you spoke to the guy? I was like, what? And they said it. I said, oh, shit. And I, I had to shake my head. I was like, yeah, I ain't speak to him in a while. And I got off stage and I was like, nah, I got to find him. You know what I mean? But that was one of the questions that actually shook me up that I was never expecting. So awesome you really don't know how much people know about you or how much yeah. they listen because like people just get invested in, in your career in your life and in your journey. Cause it like, it's a part of them and your success is their success as well. And so that mm -hmm. emotional ride is, is all part of it. But yeah, that would be so cool. Just, yeah. Would have blown my mind. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know right. how you had the patience, honestly, not to tell him. If it was me, I've got such a big mouth. I'd be like, it's me. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, because my thing was, I didn't believe it at first. I was like, God, you're playing with me right now. Because when he said it, I got I got real emotional. And I remember sitting him back in the wheelchair and locking the chair. I saw me right back. And I left him in the parallel bars and I went to the bathroom. And I stood in there. I was like, yo, I can't write this shit. Like, this shit actually happened to me. You know what I mean? So I said to myself, if I told somebody, they'd be like, yo, 
you know, what Hallmark movie did you see that shit from or whatever? So I was just like, yo, is this really happening? And I walked back out. He was like, yeah, you good? I'm like, yeah, you know, I stood him up and whatever. And I said, I'm going to wait because, because I want to see how this would change my life and change his life. But it changed his life and it changed my life. Because from that day on, I, from that day, when I said what I said to him, I got in touch with Ali Shaheed Muhammad again. And we started recording in his basement. Then I got my groove back. I got, you know, because you got to get rid of the cobwebs, bro. I had to get rid of the cobwebs. And, and he was like, now nah, you're ready. But if it wasn't for that kid, because I was saying to myself, yeah, I'm just done with shit. You know what I mean? But for him to say that, and I'm sitting there going, damn, I guess I made an impact. So, who, you know, who's to know whom else I'll make an impact on just by being who I am? Or Why understanding that. Huh? Why did you take a break? Like, what was what was that about? The industry was be it was becoming too overwhelming for me. Not only that, we had um, we had problems within the groups, you know, in the group arguments. The record label wasn't seeing things our way, and I was figuring that we were proving ourselves as a group. You come out as a group, you go gold and platinum. Uh, it's time for your second album. You're in between songs. You got the What's Up Doc song with Shaquille O'Neal out. Goes platinum. I think at that particular point in time, we know what the fuck we're doing. You get me? So let's leave us alone. This Now we're in our creative stages. We're trying to come up with this next album. And they wanted to, you know, I call it the Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince syndrome. No disrespect to Jazzy Jeff or Fresh Prince. They just wanted to... to they wanted us to do more tongue and cheek shit. I, I cannot do that. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, yo, just let, let me rhyme. Throw the beat on. Let me just get busy. You understand what I'm saying? Let us continue doing what we do because it works for us. The one thing that was missing from the second album was reggae. Had no reggae record. So everybody else that knew us for that was like, hmm, the fuck happened? You know, but this record is dope. We're not going to front, but there's some elements that's missing and we understood that about ourselves. You know what I mean? So you go from touring with Shaba and Supercat, right? We're touring with Shaba and Supercat. We go to another city. We're touring with Lords of the Underground. We go to another city and we, we just bounce in between the genres and touring. Now with this one, with this, this other album, we're just steady. So that was um, the one thing that led to me saying, nah, you know, they're, they're, they're getting too much into our creative process. We're not trying to say that we're not going to listen to you guys. Supposed to listen, but let us show you what we're trying to do. And when we played the records for them, they was like, oh my God. And we're sitting there going, yeah, let us do what we normally do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got it. But that was one of the reasons why I took a break because it was just like, you know, you learn, you learn so much about the industry when you're in it, not before you get in it. It's the experience when you're in it and you're just like, wow, this is fucked up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, wow, the limo driver left. What the fuck? Oh, wow. We're stranded. Oh, shit. We don't have our, play, our um, tickets to get back to New York. Or oh, wow. We just got kicked out of Canada. Shit like just you learn from these experiences like, wow. So. You could only really count on your family. 
That's it. Record company, management, none of that shit. Your family. You'd be able to pick up the phone and be like, dad or ma or bro. And they're like, yo, I got you. Just give it back or whatever. But you're calling record company or management and they're not answering. So it's just like, why are you managing me? So stuff like that, you come back home and you're just like, yeah, I'm not fucking with anybody. I'm just going to chill out, you know, try something else different. And let's see if I get that, you know, if I get bitten by the bug again and, and, and jump back in and lo and behold, it happened. And I'm just like, all right, let's do it. You know? Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, the idea of, of any job is better than the reality of any job. Like I wanted to be a lawyer when I went to, when I went to university, like I did a law and commerce degree and the longer I was studying law, the less I wanted to be a lawyer. So by the end, I was like, nah, fuck this. And I remember I did 30 days. It was like, it's like a prison sentence, the way I describe it. I did 30 days at a law firm and I hated every second of it. I couldn't wait to leave. And it's a big law firm. And literally all they did, and I'm wearing a suit, you know, I've been to uni for five years and they're literally like, all right, for eight hours today, you're putting paper in plastic pockets. I wanted to blow my brains out. It was horrible i was like fuck this i i like it's just mind numbing and the people there they would start at 7 a.m and finish at like 10 p.m and i'm like for this hell no no i wanted to do radiology and when i went to school i went to school for radiology and i'm there and and you know radiology is more so about uh x-rays and it just seemed like they put me in a class to just take friggin' pictures, bro. And, and I'm taking pictures of bones and, and organs and shit. And I'm like, the fuck is this shit? This is, this is not moving me. And, I'm just, and the funny part about it is you have to be able to, they'd come in with an x-ray and they throw it up on the, you know, the, the glass thing with the light that shines through it. And you're supposed to be able to recognize what bone that is or where it's located on the body. And then the organs surrounding and well, what if somebody came in and they just threw this up and I'm sitting there going, fuck am I supposed to know? So I, every day I gotta be, you know what I'm saying? I gotta be on my toes. Like that's the fibula, the tibula. I got, or I gotta understand, okay, what's the origin and insertion of the muscles that go around that bone to understand the, the, the ailment that this person must have. That's too fucking much for me. You get me? So I said, you know something, let me just understand muscle action and a reverse action and how to massage that or how to use you know other uh machines to quiet that down if there's a problem if it's below the tissue you got to go see the fucking surgeon right i mean below the muscle you got to go see the fucking surgeon if it's the skin or the or the tendons or the muscle or the organ itself and it's something that i can massage and get rid of whatever i'm fine if it's below that that's fine so i'm not coming in every day sitting in a fucking dark room bro and everybody that comes in is like oh there's this finger and you got to hold the finger a certain way and put the shit over them so they can't get blind i'm like the fuck i'm like i'm not doing this no more and the funny part about that is while i was studying that i was writing rhymes in 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 college i actually wrote ring the alarm at that when i was in that class i'm like yo ring the alarm because i'm the thing was you had the flashing light that said you can't go in there because of the radiation. So that was the idea for ring the alarm. So it's like, 
All right, well, fuck that. I'm just gonna just just write while everybody's in their books. I'm writing this shit. Like, man, you know, and everybody's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I'm like, "Bro, just wrote this shit." And I was like, "Yo, because of all the stuff going on around me, you know what I mean?" And I'm just like, "Yo, I don't need to be in this shit." You come outside in these fucking scrubs, and I'm like, "They over there talking and they're reading their muscles and." I'm standing on the other side with my headphones on, playing. I'm I'm literally playing brand new beer. I'm playing brand new beer, and I'm saying I got to get into this industry, man. This is this is shit. All right, Mister Rotron, you ready? I'm like, and I'm in there. And this is this is a real patient. All right, what's this problem? I don't give a fuck. Y'all can kick me out of this class, bro. Like I don't care about this patient right now. This is this is not it for me. So I took the other route and, you know, got into the industry. So when I took the break, I went back to school for physical therapy um, sciences and I got my degree. So at least, you know, I was able to, it helped when I was getting back in the industry to, to stop for a minute and, and know that you can study some other shit. You get me? Yeah. Study some other shit and you feel, you feel accomplished. Like, okay, I did that. Let me go back now. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready mentally, you know? So that was the best thing for me. I just think that we sometimes fall into the trap of predetermined pathways of like, mm-hmm. you make a choice and then you're like, I don't like the choice that I made, but mm-hmm. I feel like there are people who are scared. And again, we go back to fear. They're worried mm-hmm. about what people think. They're worried about admitting they make a mistake. They're worried about going, Hey, you went to school for this and you don't want to do that. Or you mm-hmm. want to do something completely different. Um, I just think that, you know, you got to do what makes your soul happy at the end of the day because otherwise you know you're gonna look back when you're you know 80 and you're gonna be like what the fuck was that let me start again let me start again i'll do it to right. do it. you're absolutely right absolutely right when i took the test for uh <laughs> the physical therapist assistant i i i failed the exam by three points Everybody in the classroom, I helped them pass because of how I was studying. I was actually writing rhymes of the answers. And I would study the, you know, study them and say them in class and read the questions and would fucking pass. So they was like, go back and take the test. It's still fresh in your mind. I was like, nah, this ain't it. <laughs> I was like, this ain't it. You gotta be kidding me. You could just pay them $50 and you can go back tomorrow. I said, no, fuck this shit. I'd rather have my degree in physical therapy sciences where I could work underneath the doctor and still be fine. I'm not going to do that shit. And it, it, it felt good because then, then I felt that I, I was putting that class to help them. That whole entire class passed because now they're rhyming bones and shit. And you have people from Germany who were in there with me that weren't thinking like that, that, you know, were very standoffish until it was time for fucking exam. And they're like, Roderick, how are you studying, my friend? I'm like, nigga, you got to learn this rhyme today. You know what I'm saying? Mikhail, you got to learn this fucking rhyme, bro. And I'm teaching them how to rhyme all the bones and the origins and insertions. And soon as the, the teacher will come in and say, all right, all right, pens up, go. Everybody's bopping. And they're bopping too. And the teacher's like, what the fuck is going? Um, does somebody have a radio on? No, but they're, they're bopping and they're, they're reciting what I taught them and they, or some of them would, as soon as they get the, uh, the scrapbook, 
the teacher would give out the scrapbook. They would write the rhyme in the scrapbook and recite the rhyme and read the questions. So they was like, yo, well, we thank you, man, because we would have never passed the, these exams. So it was out of the entire class, there was four Black people, three Russian and two German left out of a class that started at with 25 people. I think a lot of them were also like, fuck this shit. Hell yeah. They were just like, how the fuck am I going to remember all this shit? And I'm sitting there going, and my teacher's like, I don't know how you're doing it. I'm like, I know how I'm doing it. Because even when they brought, the, they had the skeleton that they bring in the class. All right. Mr. Rochford, and I'd get up and just start bobbing and just, but I'm not pointing to, I'm pointing to the, everything that rhymed with each other first before the order of, I'm just, yeah. And the teacher's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I'm like, nope. And he gets a hundred, the bone, the, the muscles, nerves. Okay. But I left that to them, man. And I'm doing what I'm doing now. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I just like the image that there could be people out there who still use your rhymes that they're like, you know, before they talk to a patient, they're like, they're like bobbing and then they'll talk to them. I just, <laughs> that would be so dope though if somebody could come back and be like yo after you taught me that bro like yo if a patient asks me a question about so why does it hurt over here and he's like all right well you see that and he, he just he just gets busy that'd be dope but at least i left my mark on that so everybody that comes in after me you know i was around people that could say i met an artist who went to school with me his name is chip Fu. And yeah, he has, he's has records out with it, but he used to rhyme the bones in class. And this, he taught me how to rhyme the origins and insertions of all these muscles. And I passed the test. And now I'm a, a physical therapist in a hospital in Brooklyn. And we all still talk on the phone. How you doing? I saw, I see what you're doing. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. We need to meet up and eat. Nah, brother. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, I actually only have one more question for you. Uh, okay. And it's probably the hardest question. I, You know, when I say at the beginning, I don't plan my questions. I only plan one. And mm -hmm. this is the last one. It's probably the hardest question I'm going to ask you. But if you had to recommend one album everybody listens to, to get an appreciation of, doesn't have to be hip hop, obviously it can't be your own, what would it be? Hmm. Every one size. Literally every time I ask this question, everyone's like, but no one's gonna have my answer though. That's why. That's why I can't I got, wait. I, I honestly the, I can't wait. I got the dope answer. Okay, it'll be two albums. You got to choose one at the end though. You got to give me like first and second. Okay, so I would say Alicia Myers album. That's the first woman I heard give thanks and graces to God on an album that was accepted in the R and B world, right? So then you have everybody in roller rinks, in discos, in house parties, dancing to a hymn record to an R to R and B, and no one felt like they were <laughs> churching it up or anything. They just felt like, yo, this is just good music. But what they're singing is a hymn, and no one knew. I would say Alicia Myers. The next record. Right, would be Rakim's record. Um, uh, what was the name of that album? The first album, 
Rakim's first album. What no one understands about Rakim's first album is when you listen to Dr. Dre's The Chronic, the same drums that were used on that album was used in The Chronic. If you listen to every, and I bet you, you can get off this line with me. I want you to play Rakim's album and play Dre's The Chronic album. And if you listen to the beats, all of the drums that were selected on Dre's album, Rakim used it on that album. So that mm-hmm. album had to be his his favorite album. I'm going to do that right now because actually one of my big compliments for Dr. Dre is his mm-hmm. drum selections are always, always, always on point. That never have I ever thought on a Dre beat that his drums are not heavy enough. Listen, trust me when I say this. Because one day I was sitting there, I was just like, uh, ghetto boy living in these ghetto streets from Dr. Dre. Same record on, on um, Rakim's album, ghetto. ghetto. And I'm just like, wait a fucking second. So I started playing them back to back. The same shit. Get off this line. Go listen to both those albums. You sit there going, wait a fucking second. This is the same shit. Evidently, the same record, some of them. Ghetto boy living in these ghetto streets. And then you got um, Rakim singing about deep in the ghetto. But it's the same drum, talking the same shit over the same drums. But if you listen to that whole Chronic album, same drums used on Rakim's album is on that. A lot of them. So let me ask you, how did he get away with it? Because I'm oh, sure remember they're all they're all samples, right? They're all samples, and then he had he probably had somebody play them over. And to be honest with you, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if he knows that. You get me? Because if I sit with Dre and be like, "Oh, Dre, so what is one of your best albums that he mentioned Rock Him's album?" I'll know why. I, I totally would know why, because it's the same drums that, that are on some of the records on Rakim's album are on that album. And I'm sitting there going, doesn't anybody hear this shit? Until I say it to somebody and they're just like, ah, oh, you talk, wow. And they're listening to, to different records and they're hearing the drums on this record is the drums that are on this record or the same syncopation, everything, or played over. So I don't know if Dre was like, yo, this is one of the greatest albums that ever, that ever came out in hip-hop, Rakim's album. I get it. So then in my mind, I could be wrong, but then in my mind, I'm saying to myself, well, now I know why Dre signed Rakim back in the days. Oh, it makes sense. You get me? So that's how I would answer it. Well, I'd love to ask Dr. Dre, and I'm sure you would like to ask Dr. Dre. Oh, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him. <laughs> I'm definitely going to ask him. Do you know... Dr. Dre? Yes. No Dr. Dre. Um, when Dr. Dre started Aftermath um, and we left Jive, Dr. Dre was going to sign the Fushnikens over at Aftermath. Really? A lot of people don't know that, but it's in his book. And he just he made sure he said it. He was like, the one group that I was going to sign was the Fushnikens to my label. Because he knew we knew how to make records. It didn't matter what type of beat we were going to make records. We knew how to make records. Well, damn. 
Look at that. Look at the scoop at the very last second. This is why you don't plan podcasts because you, you find the best shit at the very end. But mm-hmm. we'll definitely have you on again. I'm going to ask you more questions. I'm sure there's okay. so much more we could we could talk about. And then, Dr. Definitely. Dre, if you ever want to come on the show, uh, <laughs> let me know. On. Let me know. I'll make time to, for you to come on as well. But, uh, Chip, for absolute pleasure. Um, honestly, you're, you're passed on by a couple of other people I've spoken to, uh, Sick Flow as well. He was he was the one who first mentioned your name um, mm. and Optimistic as well. He also mentioned oh, uh, that, that you were fantastic as well. So I appreciate you coming through. And to be honest, no you problem. didn't let down at all. But is there anything you wanted to plug? Is there anything that you wanted to discuss before we finished up? New project coming out, top of the year, called Royal Blood. And you guys can check me out on social media, on Instagram, at ChipFoo on Instagram, at ChipFoo on Facebook and on Twitter. And just stay tuned to all of the dope records I'm about to drop at the top of the year. That's it. We can't wait. And also listen to Rakim's first album. I listen to Dr. Dre's The Chronic. And you can tell us what you think. Let us know if you agree or if you don't agree. Whatever. Up to you. Awesome, man. As I said, appreciate you coming through. Uh, And hopefully... uh, we get to see you tour out in Australia at some point as well, and we can do this face-to-face. Definitely, brother. Awesome, man. Appreciate your time. Talk soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe, and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip-hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.